Hello, everyone. We are back for another episode of the Archery Coachcast. Um, this is a, a episode that Doc here, my my guest, but also co-founder of International Archery Institute. Um, we've talked about this discussion many, many, many times, and Doc uh, is influential in in the the start of of International Archery Institute, and as well in my success as a coach and some of the things that I've learned. Um, I'll just, just a quick, just to preface where we are, where we've come from, Doc was uh, a co-instructor in my USA Archery Level 3 course years and years ago with Larry. Um, that's how we met. Um, and we just became friends right away. And as our friendship has developed, um, we realized that, you know, in, in certain ways, although I'm on the competition side and, and, and whatnot, we've been chasing a lot of the same things in parallel to each other and lives unknowingly associated. So doc, can you, um, first of all, welcome to your own podcast in some ways. <laughs> um, doc, can you yeah. what's that? I'm glad to be me. I'm glad you are you. Can you, <laughs> Uh, give us some of your educational background, obviously, as well. But can you give us, let's start with just your background and how you got into archery and how long you've been involved in archery and some of the opportunities that you've come across. And then we'll get into the topic for today, which is the, the hypothesis around recreational archery and just the health and wellness benefits of archery. And just there's so many, gosh, this can go in so many directions. But let's start with talk about and I know that you don't like it, but let's talk about you. Give us some feedback. Tell us, tell us about Doc McCune and how Doc got into archery. Well, how Doc got into archery was when uh, when I was a, a young boy. Uh, my grandfather was just retiring from his job. Uh, we we had been uh, here in this country from Scotland as dairy farmers from very early on, late 1700s. And he was one of the first McCunes off the dairy farm. And uh, he uh, only had a third grade education, third reader, they called it then, but was a, pretty much a genius in math and ended up by the time I was being born, uh, he was the uh, CFO of People's Natural Gas Company, which is a fairly large utility a natural gas company in the Pennsylvania area. And he was retiring as I was being born. And he sort of took me on as a project to keep himself busy and from going to totally crazy, I think. So we got to know each other pretty well. And when by the time I was in early grade school, one of the things that was pretty clear is uh, I, I absolutely hated school. And that's not an unusual thing for many people. But I had spent most of my time on the farms and I wanted to be on the farm. We still had farms. Uh, and uh, I, I wanted to be on the farm. And so going to school was uh, an interruption to my day, even as a young kid. And um, I, I had an awful time reading. I couldn't understand why anybody would want to do it uh, when you could do other things that were much more fun. And he sort of latched on that and helped me uh, learn how to read. And one of the things he gave me to read one time, he, he, he was extremely well-read, spoke, he spoke two languages, Gaelic and also English, obviously. 
and knew Latin very well. He had taught himself these things because he, he wanted to be an educated person. And uh, so uh, he, he, he felt reading was very important. And so he introduced me to reading by having me read things I was interested in. And even as a young kid, I, he had a book up on his, he had bookshelves in his study at home, uh, a lot of books, and he was well read in these. And he uh, then, there was a little book up there that had a, a little Indian boy on it with a bow like this. And, I, and I, I forget who wrote it. I know it was about the, the Mohawk Nation. Uh, um, we're in Pennsylvania here, so it'd be north of us. Uh, up through New York State, up through New England, and how they taught their young guys how to shoot a bow. And how they taught them to shoot a bow is they worked with an elder to make their own bow. And, and so my grandfather and I uh, decided uh, to do that. Our farms, which he didn't live on anymore, lived in a little town, Latrobe. Some people have heard of that because they may have heard of Arnie Palmer and uh, Fred Rogers and so forth, both of whom were close friends of mine. We, we, we all grew up together. And uh, we, we just, uh, as we started to do this, uh, we wanted to find the right kind of wood. And in the book, the little boy made his bow at the, with, with an elder uh, out of Osage. And the, the lanes to our three then existing dairy farms that were in the family were lined with Osage horns. And uh, so we, we went about, I was probably six when we started construction. And that took almost a year because you have to cut the piece of wood and then you put it in the spring and then you let the water flow through it to get the resins out and set so they won't twist the bow on a, we, we, we did it right. My grandfather was also a wonderful cabinet maker, so he had no problem doing this. Finally had the bow made. And uh, on the third shot, as I was pulling it back, uh, I was pulling this back and the upper limb broke, flew back, hit me in the head here. There's still, you can't see it too well anymore, but a scar there, which marked me for archery for life and blood was all over the place. My grandfather comes running over and I thought, oh shit, this is, this is the end of the archery business. And his concern was that I was bleeding and, he, and, and no, his concern was I was crying. Now we, we were Scots, men didn't cry. And uh, so even boys. And so he, he tried to calm me down. He said, why are you so upset? And, and I, you know, it wasn't because of all the blood coming down across my face. It was because my bow was broken. And it took us a year and a half to make it, you know, and do it right. And so he said, and this is during World War II, uh, we did have gasoline uh, power equipment on the farms but we couldn't use any of the gasoline for automobiles. He did have an automobile, but hardly used it because the gas was all very highly regulated. And so a few weeks later, he, he said, when I said that my bow's broken, and he said, well, Dickie, is it, my name's Richard, and he always called me Dickie. So he said, well, Dickie, I, I, I guess we're just going to have to get you a real bow. And a close friend of his lived in a town nearby in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, who had a sports shop. And uh, we ended up going there on the bus one day. 
Uh, that was probably about a, an hour ride from where we lived in Latrobe. And uh, he bought me a, uh, a bow. Uh, it was a Pearson bow because Ben Pearson was the first person to ever make production made bows. And, and so it was one of the first bows that would be hanging on racks in, in sports shops. Uh, otherwise, if, if you had a bow, it's something you made yourself pretty much at that point. And so that was my first bow. I started shooting. I trained myself because we knew no one else in the world who had a bow other than the picture of the little Indian guy in the front of the book. And so I taught myself to shoot and I became pretty good with it. Uh, and, uh, I remember I, I would, uh, I wish I had an error right here, but this pen will suffice. And so if this is the knock, I, I would hold the knock like this between my thumb and forefinger, like a piece of a vice grip. And my, even then my hands were pretty strong because on the farms, I, I was what was called the finisher. So when you milk cows with the new new milking machines that were coming out, they didn't milk them dry. And so someone had to complete the milking. And so here was this little six or seven-year-old guy underneath the cow, finishing them off so they wouldn't get mastitis and die. And uh, my hands were quite strong. The next major step for me in archery was a few years later, and I still knew no one else who shoot, shot a bow, but a, a, a friend of my dad's who was a scoutmaster came to him and he knew of my interest in archery. And he said at the local, uh, at the local um, scout camp, uh, every county seemed to have a, a scout camp. And so this was the Westmoreland scout, Scouting Operation Scout Camp called Camp, camp Wesco for Westmoreland County that there was going to be an archer there, a famous archer there, he didn't miss the name, who was demonstrating how to, how to shoot bows. And at that point, Cub Scouts had just started, and I was one of the first Cub Scouts in the area. And so I was allowed to go to this thing on a Saturday. And I, I saw the, this guy comes out with a follow. They, they drove in in an old Dodge bread truck, uh, there was uh, just sort of poorly paint, <laughs> painted to cover up the logo on it. And uh, they had this thing full of archery equipment. And this fellow got stuff out and his helper would set things up and they would shoot. And then one of the shots that really caught my attention was they would put two clay birds in a hand trap and throw it up. And the birds, of course, would go out like this, the, 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 the clay birds. And this guy would have... An, an arrow knocked in his bow, and then one along the side of the riser with the knock and fleshings down here. And he would, he would hit the first one and grab this and shoot the second one. I thought that was pretty good shooting, you know? And so I, I asked him, <laughs> the scoutmaster if I could talk with this guy, because I think I said, I think I could do that. <laughs> Yes, little snotty nose, ten-year-old kid, probably at that point. And uh, so he went over and talked with this fellow. All I, all we knew was his name was Mister Hill. And so, uh, this guy says, "Yeah, I went at, at my next break. If you, if you bring the young lad over, and 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 I'll I'll show him a few things." And he reaches in the back of his truck, and there he had a little Pearson bow, almost identical to mine. 
was laying in the back of the truck there. He puts an air in it and I start to pull it back. And he said, no, 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 son. That's not the way to pull an arrow. I thought the vice grip idea was a pretty good idea. And he said, no, you got to put your fingers like this. And he shows me how to put my fingers. And what he did was one above, two below. I thought that was the dumbest thing I ever heard because why would you want to put your fingers in the way of the string? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Yeah, it could rip your fingers off. So he shows me how to do this. And I said, okay. And, but first, excuse me, he wanted to see if I could shoot. So his guy throws a clay bird out along the ground, out of the hand trap. And I pull up because my, my brothers used to throw stuff for me and I'd shoot them. And it was going along the ground. And I pulled it with shot and boom, hit it. He said, oh, that was probably just uh, just good luck. And uh, so he, he said, let's try another. And I hit that one. And he and then it was, his break was done. He had to go back to demonstrating archery. He said, at my, at my, my next break, I want your, your Scott Master to bring you over. Um, he says, I, I, I think you have some potential. About five years later, my father, who worked in the steel mills, uh, helping the, the war effort, he, he worked uh, double shifts. I hardly knew the guy until after the war. They worked six days a week, double shifts. And he won in a, in a lottery among the guys a ticket to a local sports shop where they were the sports organization where they were showing a film of uh, a, an archer an internationally known archer who sh who shot an elephant and so we wanted to go see that so we go to see that and during the presentation when this fellow stood up and started talking about hey how he got ready to shoot this elephant i leaned out over to my dad and i said that's the fellow that was at the scout camp my my dad being a scott you know, we would only have two gears on and off and that's either angry or pleasant and he leans over to me and says no that can't be this is a famous archer from all around the world so at the break i i asked my dad if i could go up and talk to this fellow he recognized me for some reason and uh we started talking a little bit and and that's when i found out that my first archery lesson how to hold the correctly on the string was from Howard Hill. So that got me started. I never had another archery lesson until I met uh, Larry Wise, actually, I don't yeah. think. I was just going to say, Doc, there's not too many people in the archery industry at all that can say they even knew or met in that capacity Howard Hill. So well, I am awfully old. Well, you know? I mean, you've been around, you've, listen, you've been around the the galaxy a few times you know around the around the sun so yeah i on the, yeah, on the fourth of june i start eight the 83rd ride around so um but you you, you know that that was uh <clears throat> for me it was really an, a significant thing for this little semi farm kid and 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 so I got into archery. Uh, I remember when I shot I, my first two or three deer. I shot. I shot with a bow, even though I had a rifle. You were only allowed one deer a year then, so I would always fill my tag before the rifle season started. And uh, I remember the Latrobe Bulletin came out and took pictures of this young guy that shoots a bow with a or shoots a deer with an arrow. You know, a big big deal. You know, and that really got me into it. And I was pretty active in archery, too. I ended up uh, going through 
and you would wonder why someone that hated to read ends up actually graduating from high school, but then going on to college and then they ending up eventually with five academic degrees, uh, two, two bachelors, two masters and two doctorates. But it's because once I sit down, I don't move very quickly. And I, so I end up getting those degrees. But the one has helped me a great deal and has helped me immensely in archery because that degree is really about natural systems and how to understand how we interact as human beings or any biology continuously interacts with the natural system. And, and, uh, I, and then I ended up teaching in, in uh, I had thought I wanted to be a physician, but I, when I went off to college pre-med, I, I, I just really wasn't interested in the, in the biology stuff so much and, and the math and all that. And uh, so I switched over to psychology and I did a blend of that. So educational psychology, which has helped now again. And, and then uh, along, along the way, as I, kept going further. I, I ended up also with a couple degrees in theology and was a pastor for a brief while and in a, in a, I, because I wanted to blend clinical work with the pastor, became a clinical chaplain. And all these things eventually uh, lined me up for the archery stuff. I, I had no idea that was all going to happen. But what really happened was one of the days, and I ended up teaching actually altogether almost 40 years in, in three or four different major medical schools here in the Eastern United States. And I taught the theory of, of natural systems because that's not taught in medicine. And that's why Western medicine gets so far afield from really seeing the whole person and seeing what's going on with them. And so we actually taught the courses, whether anyone learned anything or not. I, I enjoyed doing it. One day, uh, and then I would teach in the mornings on Fridays, eight till one. And then in the afternoon from three till five or so, I had a group that we would do uh, actual patient care. These are all graduate medical people. They all have their doctorates of nursing and medicine and therapies and so forth. But we were, we were doing the special study of making patients the head of their own, uh, their own medical team. And these were terminally ill ca cancer patients, by and large. There were some other illness, uh, chronic illnesses. But and uh, so one day, coming home from from that that, that day, a very long day, but I just loved it. And uh, I started feeling ill, thinking I was getting the flu because everyone else was getting the flu. <laughs> it was in March. We had already taken our flu. We had you had to. If you worked the clinical area, I had to get a flu shot in October, then one towards the end of February because by that time they had, you know, re, re, reintroduced, reintroduced some other things to the cocktail, and uh, because of the different varieties of viruses and by and the bacteria that was running around, and. On the way home, I thought oh, I was feeling crappy, and that night I was feeling even crappier. And I went to bed early, and during the night I realized I was having a stroke, and uh, <clears throat> that's a pretty scary experience. And during that time, I I fell into this deep sleep, and um, I, I and I won't say too much about this because you'll think I'm real loony tone, which I probably am. Um, 
but I played, I played I the three, fifth on that one. Three, three, three nights in a row, I had the similar dream in, in, in which um, I was being uh, led to believe I had still some uh, very special work to do. <clears throat> and this was had to do with how human being, how human beings in this case uh, could heal, you know, once they had become ill. And uh, so the, the short of that very long story was that each of the three nights was a very similar dream. And the, and the first night, it's, the, the dream ended with, with uh, the fact that all that I had learned about psychology as a clinical psychologist and as a professor in, in natural systems theory, which is the Bowen theory I learned at Georgetown with the founder, Dr. Mary Bowen, um, that I would be using that. And then uh, the next night was that the, uh, the, the, the work would involve archery uh, because it was very important to, uh, to human health and well, wellness. And the conclusion of the third dream was that, that a lot of this would be based in, in, in my knowledge of, of, of a gray fox. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've really slipped off the edge here. And I, I shouldn't even be taking aspirin. And um, later, when I started feeling a little better, and, and the, the next morning I was taken off to the hospital and they found out I had a, an attack of bacteria that I, had come up through my nose, sort of similar to what COVID has been doing, and uh, uh, affected and infected my midbrain around the pituitary and was troubling my whole autonomic nervous system. And uh, I survived that for one reason or another. And my, my uh, physician who had been a student of mine many years before that uh, knew, knew my interest in not using m much of the pharmacological re remedies and using natural remedies. If I would have practiced, I'd have been a naturopath. And uh, so that got me off on a track. And then uh, to try to look at my diet and and fitness, get back into more exercise, because when you're already working 10, 12 hour days uh, uh, and, and teaching on top of that, it doesn't leave a lot of time. And so my fitness had gone downhill. I had been a long distance runner for a number of years and had given that up. So I got back to these things and the other things she said, you're gonna to have to do something that's gonna help you get your strength back. And if any of you have ever had a stroke, whether it's a blood stroke or an infection, uh, you, you, you lose muscle strength, like it just drops off your body. And uh, so she recommended that it would be something that would help me hold focus because I had a hard time focusing on things in terms of seeing, but also focusing, you know, mentally uh, holding on to a topic. And then, um, she recommended that it would have to be something that, that would be repetitive and asked her what she thought that would be. And she said, well, maybe skiing or golf. Well, I could, I could barely walk. I couldn't imagine putting boards on my feet and jumping down a hill. And because I had skied, I was from Western Pennsylvania where there's some decent ski slopes and I had done some of that, but that didn't appeal to me. And golf, I, I would have made former president, um, Oh, Jerry Ford looked like a Arnie Palmer, 
In fact, when Arnie won his first green jacket, he came back to the high school. He was six or seven years older, and I came back to the high school to show kids how to use a driver and stuff. And my turn came up in a gym class. I took a couple of swats at the thing, and he said to me, because he knew me pretty well, he said, Dick McCune, stick to archery. <laughs> he certainly was right. So that got me into this whole thing. And I, I said to my physician, uh, I said, Becky, I, I, how, how would archery work? I mean, that's something I've done a lot and I'd like to get back to it. My bow hung in the rafters in my basement. It was a uh, Fred Bear, Kodiak uh, Magnum, I think. Still have the bow, it's in great shape yet. And uh, so she said, I don't know much about it. Tell me about it. She said, it sounds like it has some potential. And I got back into shooting and almost immediately. And, and I, I couldn't pull that bow, 55 pound bow uh, recurve. And so my brother went to, who lived with me too uh, in, in my house. He went to a nearby sports shop and bought me a little kid's bow. And I shot in the basement of the pasteboard box until I could shoot again. And then started gradually coming up with the power of a bow. Ended up over at Lancaster Archery uh, here in uh, central Pennsylvania. And uh, ended up shooting there. And uh, everyone that was shooting uh, was reporting in one fashion or another that when you shoot, it makes you feel better. And I'm hearing stuff like this. And that's what was my experience, too. I thought it was just because I returned to something I loved to do. But they were giving the same report in one fashion or another. And I, you know, I'm a researcher, basically, basically, neurological researcher. We had to really pin me down in, in terms of a natural environment, environment, how everything works together. And I thought, you know, that, that's a heck of a research question. Why does archery make you feel good? Because a feeling doesn't just drop out of the air or just conjured up in your head that you think I want to feel good. I mean, it, it, it's electrical, it's biochemical, it's physical. It has to do with gravity and, and that's in the system around you. So that's what got me into research about that and uh, read everything I could get a hold of. And I, have ac I had access to all the medical libraries because I taught in them. And a friend of mine who had studied, was studying to be, had studied, excuse me, uh, to be a neurosurgeon, had become a pastor, and, and I had helped him a number of times in his church when he needed some help. And he and I had kept contact, and, uh, but he, even though he had sort of abandoned medicine, just as he was ready to start some of his uh, a, a, a clinical work to head towards uh, becoming a neurosurgeon, this is what he wanted to do. And never really got back to that, but he he stayed interested and was reading everything he could read, and he always did uh, about uh, what was going on in the brain and the new brain studies. So he was on one. His name was Bob Pope, P-O-P-E. So every Wednesday evening, afternoon, we set his time aside. He lived not too far from me, and the Pope and I would meet and we'd talk about archery and what was going on in people's heads, and uh, that ended up to bring us to a pretty good understanding actually of what's taking place. And uh, without having to do set up major research studies ourselves, we would like to now do that and really loop back on this hypothesis. The hypothesis is basically this, uh, 
that if you keep yourself physically well uh, in terms of exercise overall, not just your upper body to pull the bow, but overall, and if you eat a diet that's fit for you, not fit for a particular diet of that's conjured up by somebody that wants to sell stuff to you, but it's done from a blood study that tells you exactly what you need, probably when you need to eat, and, and probably also how it needs to be prepared. If, if you could do that on a regular basis, and then shoot archery as well. And I don't mean shooting 100 errors a day, but at least two or three times a week, every day if possible, no more than a dozen errors, and just trying to do it right and do it well. You will feel better. And my, my hypothesis is that those three things put you in a proper alignment within within your body, physiologically, neurologically, biochemically, electrically, to interface with the natural system around you and gravity and everything. And, and you will, even if you get ill, you will recover faster. And the more we've seen this, the more, and, and Frank has had some experiences in his own practice of archery with, with, with the people who have come to him to be trained some spectacular things that have happened with people doing this and I've had them too. And I'm hoping that through their, our, our uh, Institute here, which we really have set up as a university uh, that we can start to do some very serious research of my hypotheses. Cause uh, like I say, I'm going to be starting my 83rd trip around the sun. I, I can't have too many more of those, even if I get healthy or stay healthy. I've been having some problems lately, mainly with allergies. There's a pollen around here you can walk on right now. But you, you get through that stuff, but you, you, you recover. And if, if you're doing those things, my belief is, it's a hypothetical belief, is that, uh, that this is really a very uh, necessary activity uh, for, for wellness, archery is partly because it's so old. I mean, there, 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 there is almost no other behavior other than running and throwing something that all of those have become sports in one fashion or another, whether it's throwing a, a javelin or a spear or uh, the, the uh, quarterback throwing the football and running. Those two things, running throwing and then someone conjured up the machine that became the bow uh that 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 stuff's in inbred in us and 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 that inbreeding goes on from generation to generation and here's a place that my friend bob pope the reverend bob pope has been so helpful because he could go into the research and in the last 20 years there was a we won't go into these details maybe later we can we do this stuff the that it was most people have heard of Mendel in in terms of genetics and how genes transfer from generation to generation through through the sex cells themselves and so forth. We all know a little bit about that, like we know a little bit about finance and the weather too, you know. But so we know something about that. 
and and Mendel was the guy with his peas. He, he was a a, a a brother in a in a uh, in a, uh, a Catholic uh, uh, order, and so he studied how this happens genetically. We're saying that it's beyond genetics; that you can have experiences that somehow become part of your genes, and and that was heretical for years, until. We had things like the electro electron uh, uh, microscope and other kinds of ways of, of really taking a very careful look at things, uh, MRIs and CAT scans and all these things. We can now see that on the actual stem cell, the dendron, that when someone has a spectacular experience, I mean, not just the everyday thing, but something really outstanding, positive or negative, there's a, an actual biochemical and probably electrical encoding, almost like tattooing on the on the cells, and those are on the the, the stem cells that become uh, our genes that we pass forward sexually, and and so from generation to generation. And I was saying to Frank the other day, I think if we could if we could find a group of people that had never heard of or seen a bow, and put one on the ground probably strung because most people even know about it, can't string the bow. So, and an arrow there that has a knock on it, that person would probably pick it up and within a few seconds would, would be shooting it because it's, it's part of who and how we are. Yeah. The responses of that are very, are very vast. And I think it's not just to help us feel good, but we could be on the edge of understanding some very, very significant things about PTSD, a horrible experience that we could learn to identify early when this starts to rehappen with something else, not the, the roadside bomb blowing up, blowing up, but someone the next aisle over in the grocery store knocking a stack of cereal over that frightens us, or it, 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 something like... Um, Alzheimer's. And I, I think that do, doing this kind of research and stay, staying in those basic things can really help us move ahead in, in terms of understanding health and wellness. Yeah. Although the best way to stay healthy, I'm convinced, is to never get sick in the first place. Yeah. And Dr. maybe Julian Archery can help us do that. Let me, I just want to, I want to touch upon a few things um, because they've been influential in the way that I coach. Um, some of the people here that are, that are viewing are here because they're familiar with some of the coaching that I do and the stuff that I do. Um, but it's, so we're talking about that good feeling, right? And it's actually something just registered to me that I did not realize. So I, I, I'll go, I'll get into that first talking about like PTSD and stuff like that. Um, years ago, um, when I got back into hunting specifically, which was right around when our son was born, um, I probably struggled for, uh, I'm going to say like six months or so after a significant, uh, uh, fire that we had here in town, uh, where we rescued one lady, uh, tried to get to another lady. The fire pushed us back. We ended up vacating the building. There was fire underneath our ladder as we were coming out. Like it was really, a, for me, it was a, it was, it was a pretty horrific thing. Um, right. and for at least six months, I had nightmares, um, multiple times a week, if not every night, wake up, you know, 
cold sweat, whatever, just kind of just suppressed it, suppressed it, suppressed it. And it was shortly thereafter that I really got back into archery. And I, and what maybe in, in some ways, one of the reasons I got back into it is because it made me feel good. I knew from my childhood growing up, shooting, competing. I, some of my earliest memories as a, as a child is shooting archery with my dad in the yard Mm -hmm. at two years old. Mm -hmm. I remember it like it was yesterday. There's not a lot that I remember from two years old. That's one of the things. Um, So, you know, and then, and in years of our friendship and, and discussing this topic and these things and me working with kids that have some, you know, some health uh, issues or learning disabilities and, and realizing that in like that idea of every time you do a thing and you do it and you enjoy it and it goes the way you want it to, and it makes you feel good. It, 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 like we talked about, it makes a little mark in your brain. All right. Or in your DNA from what, what the discussion we're having. Or the reverse of that. Yeah. If it's a bad thing. Right, 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 right. But not just a little bad, a big bad thing. Right. So one of the things that I'm doing is um, in my coaching or the way that I I approach coaching is that our goal is to recreate the perfect shot. Well, how do we do that? And how do we find that good feeling? Because, and we've talked about, I've talked it on multiple podcasts and, and things like, well, I want shooters to learn what the shot is supposed to feel like and what is the way that we make the shot feel as good and controlled and, and beautiful as possible. So through research, through working with Larry, through working with you, you know, we learned that the body has a way of, of, ha- of, of repeating a feeling. Well, mm-hmm. by repeating a feeling, we want to optimize the efficiency of that. And that's where biomechanics of the body's position and all that stuff comes in. So I've sort of adopted a lot of that into my coaching to say, okay, well, if this hypothesis is true, we should be able to take an archer, put them in the best position as possible so that they then can experience the best feeling as possible and then learn to repeat that feeling by going through the proper shot process. And, you know, and like, and in my opinion, and and it's, it's not, it's, it's maybe like an outlying point of what you're doing, but I think that that's the key to target panic. I honestly think in my, my wholeheartedly believe that, and we've talked about target panic a little bit, and I think that it's an extremely misunderstood topic. And that the idea of controlling the shot isn't really the focus It's the focus is supposed to be on the feeling because our body has the ability to repeat the feeling. So my coaching, my theories, the way that I do drills, the way that I teach kids and the way that I program and all that, it's based on the idea that you need to be able to duplicate the best shot possible as many times in whatever format that means. It doesn't have to be the full shot. It can be parts of the shot but it has to be done correctly and it has to be done as many times. The more that we do it good, the better we're going to remember it and the better our archery is going to be overall. And I really think like, and target panic is always a big topic amongst compound, especially amongst barebell and the trad world. And you have had a huge influence on my approach to addressing target panic for that reason, 
because your research is unmatched in the archery world your research is unmatched when it comes to this topic and when when we're talking we have such a when we have a thing that affects so many people and we try to under, explain to them here this is why this is the conversation that they need to hear because it literally every time that you do a thing it doesn't have to be archery but you do it and it makes you feel good you are going to remember it. your body's going to remember that your brain is going to remember that your natural system is going to remember that and you'll be able to repeat it so and and, yeah. and that that brings me to the final actually punchline here is is the the term I started using then about archery, but it can be about running actually, and it can be about throwing, and those are the basics of almost any motion sport, right? I mean, even if you're swinging around the high bar, that's a combination of all that stuff. So, the actual activity. Plus those other things. If you do this without the rest of the natural system, without knowing how to eat the right stuff and keep yourself physically fit within the natural system, which is based on your integrity with gravity and keep your muscles fit, then you, you, you will be able to heal quicker. Your body will work as it's supposed to. That doesn't mean you're going to live forever, but you could die a very healthy death. That sounds like a you know, a uh, stupid thing, but I used to say a lot of stupid things among, uh, to medical people just to shake the crap out of them because yeah. they, they don't, and I imagine there's some physicians here think, and, then, and I, I've actually had a couple of good friends who were physicians. Everyone makes mistakes, but that is what helps. Those things are what helps our body heal. A physician cannot heal you. A surgery cannot heal you. A, a, pharma, a pharmacological mix of something cannot heal you. But the basics of this universe and how we deal with them vis-a-vis our own body, put together correctly, can work. And, and, we, and the recreational, and that's the term for recreational, right. that's, just, that's where we get the word recreational, is that we can continue to keep ourselves healthy. You know, you bite your lip in the morning, chewing your cereal, and usually by evening the mucosa has gradiated over it, and the wound's almost healed. You break your leg skiing, well, that's going to take a little longer. You know, you may need some surgeries and so forth. You don't get infected, maybe you can even keep the leg. But these these are the things that could be much more uh, integral because of doing those basic things. The PTSD stuff. So you're driving along in the Humvee and something blows up and your your guy sitting next to you, his guts blow all over you. That, that's a traumatic thing, you know? You won't forget that. So when you hear a loud noise, you're, you have to be. But you can quickly, because of being healthy in these other ways, learn to differentiate that it was, oh, that was something falling down in the next aisle in the grocery store. That was not a roadside bomb, and I'm okay. That's how to get in charge of PTSD. Right. How, how the cells work and so forth, and that's part of Alzheimer's. We're just beginning to see these things. But I'm believing, and, and the, 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 those are the two most 
important things, I think, in our healthcare system. Learning how to maybe offset, if not delay, or maybe even treat, if you will, not having dementia and, and, and die with a healthy brain and body. Because we're going to die when the egg hits the sperm, the clock's set. Or, you know, if, if we just want to feel, feel good about something, we can put this together. And, and, and archery is something, I think, I mean, you, you, you probably can't play golf forever, but you, you, you could play it pretty long in your life. Sure. Some people can ski to very late in their life. But if you practice right and don't try to pull a bow significant enough that you shoot the, the, an elephant, we don't have them on the game tickets here in Pennsylvania right yet, but you know, you're, you're going to be more healthy. Absolutely. And you can have a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> well, and I, and I, and I, and again, to, to kind of go back to that, uh, that target panic, I, that idea we archery we started archery out of necessity not out of fun but it was still fun you yeah. know we started archery as humans for the necessity to provide for ourselves and our families but here we are still doing the same thing you know hundreds of years later thousands of years later and even in the competition world and i try to emphasize this to people and and i have to you know i give credit to the, to the, some of the youth shooters that i work with is re energizing and re-establishing the fact that they're shooting the sport because they love it and they have to concentrate on just that one thing concentrate on just shooting that one arrow like that literally is the key to target panic providing you are in the best position the problem is, is that when your body's not in a good position your body hates you know your body doesn't want to be there it's it doesn't work it's it's you need to fix that you need to because your body wants to do this thing and wants to enjoy it but when your body isn't in isn't working it can be tough to concentrate on those right things. And, you know, it's, it's that idea of remembering that, listen, we're, we love what we're doing. We're not concentrating. We're not worried about the value of the arrow. We're not very worried about as much where the arrow hits. We're worried about the feeling. Was it a good shot? What, what could I have improved upon? What, you know, and it's just like, uh, you know, maybe it took us to have this podcast and have this conversation to really realize where that, where that relationship is and how it is so, how it has so much effect on, you know, we have to remember that the enjoyment of the sport is so much bigger than the value of the arrow and what we're doing and in the history of it and all that's, that's involved in archery is just so, it's such a, a deep topic. It's profound. And people, most people, skip right by it they just want to jump on social media and post how awesome they're shooting and then and then it comes around to when it matters most and and everything falls apart right and because we're focused on the wrong things and we're not realizing how much fun we're still having and you know it just it's it's just this i don't know it's a profound topic and we're already 45 minutes into this discussion, which is fine. We, we can keep going if you'd like, or we can continue this as a part two um, and and make this like a full-on series because it, in my opinion, that's the direction this is going to end up going with some of our guests that, that we have lined up and, and stuff like that. I, I, you know, I felt for myself, uh, I, I became a level three a number of years ago and I've repeated that to keep it up to date and so forth 
but I really have, have no interest in going further with that. And that, because there's a lot of people that do that and there's not a lot of people that do this. And so, and I, in my, my last few years on the planet, I, I want to continue to do something significant this way. And then when the opportunity to put this organization together appeared because of my wife trying to help our grandson at, at the computer when a 12 year old, when he was out of school because of COVID and so forth. And I saw zoom working. I thought, there's no reason why we can't do this this way. And Frank and I started talking and we included Larry and off it went. And, uh, so we're, we're pretty excited about this. And we've been able to train in five or six different countries now, actually, all together. Uh, and and um, language hasn't been a problem because most people speak English, uh, mainly better than we do. <laughs> and uh, so that hasn't been a problem. But it's, it's a wonderful thing and it, it, it's fun to do. And if we can learn to have a little fun in our lives, that's the, that's that's pretty good elixir too. Yeah, that is definitely. Um, Daniel mentioned that uh, that we mentioned archery is in us, and he says that he is native, um, and that bringing a program to native youth in Maine, uh, as this podcast has been a perfect approach for him, bringing it to them, maybe learning, maybe I I'm. I'm I appreciate the feedback there. I guess what Daniel's saying is it's helping him then bring archery to them um, oh, yeah. and then helping grow the sport, you know, and, and just to Daniel's point, you know, part of the, the mission of IAI is no matter what discipline of archery you, you shoot or you coach or you have an effect on kids or new shooters, adults included, we want you to have the tools necessary to improve the first arrow because the first arrow is the most important arrow in my opinion because the the longevity of their involvement in the sport very well may be dictated on how their first experience goes and if you are you know and i've talked about this and, and and if you go to buy a comp you go into a place and they throw a compound bow at you and it's like Doc was talking, we were talking about another shooter is pulling 70 pounds and is way over bowed. And you go into this place and they give you that bow. You might shoot that bow for a few weeks. You might shoot it for a month. But if you're not having fun with it, and if you're not, you know, doing well with it, the longevity of your involvement in the sport, and most importantly, as a bow hunter in in, in, in many instances, is going to be limited and that's one less bow hunter we have that's one less archer we have and that's one person that is missing out on an opportunity to really feel good about themselves over and over and over again as a sort of therapy of sorts um you know and that's kind of like one of one of the missions here is to to follow on on daniel's uh, comment uh, yeah go ahead who's become a friend of mine byron ferguson that some of you may know of a really a great longbow shooter and, and a bowyer making bows and so forth and does demos all over the place i got to meet him and, and he and i've done some shooting together he has a shooting school in in western uh, tennessee at the goodman ranch and uh, a number of years ago, he was invited by the Navajo Nation to come out and uh, and to put put on archery demonstrations for them. He said he was so intimidated by that he almost decided not to even respond to the invitation. 
uh, you know, he, he, uh, at least Howard Hill was was part Cherokee, you know, and uh, he, he had at least at least ha ha half of the right thing going for him. And but uh, but uh, Ferguson went there, and they had a great time shooting together. And and the 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 elders of the tribe who invited him and wanted him to come there, and and because they they had their own school going on there, teaching each other. Uh, various kinds of things the, the pottery the weaving the archery and, and things like this they they also said that what how he talked about archery helped them see what they had known for thousands of generations but it's sort of the forest for the trees kind of thing you know it's so much part of you you don't notice what's going on yeah. And, and 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 Byron has responded really well to to my notions uh, because uh, he he said that over the years when he's had difficult times, archery itself was really his psychiatrist. That's that's the term he used. And uh, uh, so what tri tribe is uh, is Daniel and what nation? I don't know. Well, let's see if Daniel's uh, still listening and, and can comment to that. And I'll, uh, I've been blessed to become friends with Byron uh, as well through my relationship with you, Doc. And, you know, and, and Byron actually in the beginning of IAI was, was sort of uh, influential in many ways. And I'm sure that you will see Byron either on the podcast or maybe in some other a higher capacity involved at some point in time. Um, Byron's busy. He's getting back COVID as COVID restrictions are released. I know Byron's doing more and more. Um, but, you know, if you guys get a chance for the followers that we have, whether you shoot compound Olympic recurve or bare bow, you should, you should take an opportunity to watch Byron, listen to Byron talk about archery. He, he understands all aspects. He understands the idea of being the bow and being involved in, in the, um, you know, the, that emotional side of the sport, but he also understands the the marketable side of the sport as well. He's very good at that too. So, you know, he's he's got a lot of really good things. Um, His notion of becoming the arrow is so significant yes. because uh, I think I said becoming the bow. Yes. Well, the bow. <laughs> they're pretty much needed together, and uh, so I mean, he's done some some great stuff with with that. And when you start to think that way. It really, it really changes your your thinking. But the most important part, and this is where I think the the uh, the uh, problems with uh, uh, what do you call it, target panic and so mm -hmm. forth, exist. Is you you actually think you're out there doing that yourself? Mm -hmm. You're only part of the process. You happen to be holding the bow and maybe pulling the arrow correctly. Because the bow's doing stuff, the arrow's doing stuff, gravity's doing. Can you imagine trying to shoot a bow in in, in, a, in a zero gravity situation? You'd be bouncing around all over hell's half acre, <laughs> you know. And, and so you got all this stuff working for you. And that, and to me, that does something with target panic when you start to think this isn't just me performing here. I'm working within a total system yep. that will work if I can repeat doing it correctly that's larry's thing with his right. core archery what's, what's the follow it was his trainer who was a the olympic archery coach uh, yeah. 
Uh, you're going to put me on the spot, Doc. I don't, um... He used to say uh, that, that archery is a two-part process. Learn yeah. to shoot at 10 and repeat yeah. 10. Yes. And you spend the rest of your life repeating that, you know? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, looks like the, uh, Daniel did uh, respond. Halton Band of Maliseet. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. He's from Maine. Yeah, look at uh, in the chat there, Doc. Uh, uh, I'm afraid to click on these things. <laughs> he says uh, we're just reinforcing to them, or he's reinforcing to them what he's known all along. Yes, okay, I did say it. Holton Band of Malseeds is his, uh, his tribe. Okay. Um. Well, thank Daniel. I'm glad you were able to join in. That's pretty cool. And for those who are listening, um, again, the video version will be on YouTube, of course, and then uh, you know the, the the audio version will be on uh, all of the podcast platforms. So be a good one because there's not a lot of visual going on. This is you know a lot of like uh, it's all audio. But Doc, I think what we'll do is we will we will definitely pick up a part two here in the next few weeks. We We'll be recording next week with uh, professional archer Jack Wallace um, Monday live. Um, and we'll probably be talking a lot about 3D archery. And we're going to talk about Jack's role here with IAI here moving forward. Um, we're lining up some other uh, others involved uh, in, in, in the archery that we're going to be working with. And then also along the lines of what Doc has been researching and, and Doc's uh, recreational archery and and what really bringing uh, I don't want to say high profile but influential people in all aspects of these topics and these things that we're teaching and and bringing to the the table in the archery world because nobody's done it we're we want to we want to make this information as available to as many people as possible and then, like I say, uh, you know, we, we have contact with some really significant people and we, we've made, we've met great people in archery. And so it occurred to, to me and I, I sold it to my other colleagues here, that the idea that we really need to form this up as a university, which uh, part of the responsibility of the university is to gather a body of knowledge, but not just to possess that. But, but to continue to work on it. And that means research and understanding and practice and see it evolve and so forth. And it just doesn't become a dead book on the shelf. It becomes something that continues to live and to be able to have other people from all ends of this planet participate in this in a really significant way and with the technology that we can do it. Yeah. When I think I made my first phone call on a on a chair from the, the kitchen and the table of the farmhouse on this wooden box that had a magneto crank on it to ring up Helen down at the end of the wire, who was the operator, and she knew who was calling in, you know. And 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 I shouldn't really be trusted with this thing in front of me right now, but I became a pretty significant pilot and did my work flying all over the country and and so forth. Never crashed once, you know. So you can learn to use this technology for the good of, sure. of, of, of everyone. It, it, it's an exciting time. It's been nice to be part of it. Yeah, and I think another another way to look or, to look at this, Doc, is that we're, 
we're constantly not we're constantly learning and and sharing and sharing our experiences with the the shooters that we work with the people we work with um we're not we're 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 putting all of the stuff that we have to the test and saying look here's proof that it works here's proof that this 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 is happening whether it's in the way that we're coaching people or the the way that you know like we're working with shooters of all this archery disciplines online or in the seeing the health benefits that have come with people i've worked with people you've worked with watching watching these things happen we're not there's no it's very transparent here either it works or it doesn't and we're we're providing that information to to people through the university well through the institute um and and making it available in and in a way that we've COVID allowed us to realize wow we were really on to something and let's move let's move let's make this happen so all right i think that's that's a good that's a good start yeah it's a good start um keep starting every day yes thank you for joining us everyone um and make sure you guys check out uh, uh, the youtube version and and all the audio versions doc thanks for for being the guest on your own podcast <laughs> okay that was fun yeah, yeah. all right Bye.